Every week, this podcast is brought to you by Bucket Nutrition. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to help you tick it before you kick it. Just go to bucketnutrition.com. Remember that it's bucket with an IT and use promo code bucket10 and you'll get a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. I've got some bucket shots that I'd love you to try. They're filled with B12 and New Zealand Manuka honey. All you've got to do is share your favorite break new ground story with me, something that you did that was new and bold. DM me on Instagram at Bucket Nutrition. I'll pick out my favorite story and then I'll send you some of these bucket shots to try. They're a great way to boost your immunity and of course, power your next adventure. I knew I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so why couldn't I? That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses swerve off the predictable road and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. Hi everyone, it's Phil Cogan here. Happy holidays from all of us here at Bucket with Phil Cogan. Thanksgiving is such a great time to just slow down and really be appreciative of everything that life has to offer. It's so easy throughout the year to get caught up in the fast line and not look around at all the things that we have to be thankful for. So for me, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday just for that reason, just because you do get a chance to slow down. Thanksgiving is not a holiday that we have in New Zealand, but I've really embraced it here living in America now since 92, being invited into a number of American family homes to share Thanksgiving and really understood and appreciate what it means. So wherever you are, I hope you enjoy it. So while you're practicing being grateful this week, I thought maybe why not shed some inhibitions. Um, This is a good chance for you to just let loose and break down some of the barriers that might be holding you back from doing some of the things that you want to do. I've spoken about a number of the bucket themes and this week it's all about shedding your inhibitions. Right now, I am traveling around the country, casting a new competition reality show for CBS called Tough as Nails. So this is going to be my last uh, podcast for the year. I will be back in 2020, but I wanted to sign off with a great bucket theme, shed your inhibitions, and introduce you to some of the guests that we've had on the show that really epitomize what it means to shed your inhibitions. Over the last year or so since we've been doing the podcast. I've talked to you about a number of the bucket themes, including face your fear and test your limits. There are eight bucket themes. Um, Face your fear, test your limits, take a leap of faith, aim for the heart, rediscover your childhood, break new ground, get lost, and the one I want to talk about today, shed your inhibitions. Now, I realize that shedding your inhibitions isn't always about just taking off an extra layer of clothing on a warm day. But in a funny way, that analogy of shedding your clothes is, a, is an apt one because ultimately it does expose you, <laughs> sometimes literally, to your inhibitions. Some years ago, I was shooting a television show for the Discovery Channel and uh, it was called Adventure Crazy. And this is way before Naked and Afraid was ever on the air. And it was a nude wedding that I was invited to and of course the code 
or the standard of dress for the wedding was basically nothing. I made my crew take off all their clothes because I figured if I had to work in the nude, they would have to work in the nude too. And it was a wonderful exercise to just uh, let go of everything. And in the end, we were all yelling out how free we all felt. And it was just a really interesting experience to be in this different world for a while and talk about shed your inhibitions. It, it was a good exercise. Not suggesting that you do that. There's lots of different ways you can do it. But by shedding your inhibitions, I do think it opens up the opportunity for new things to happen in your life. Um, a chance for you to get past embarrassment. And by doing that, maybe you'll try something that you've never tried before. This week on Bucket with Phil Kogan, I'm going to talk with lead singer of Sugar Ray, Mark McGrath, a former professional cyclist, Kit Carson, who suffered from anxiety, and the youngest showrunner in history of late night television, Ben Winston, and former supervising producer on The Tonight Show, starring Jimmy Fallon, Rob Crabb, about the importance of ditching the excuses and shedding your inhibitions in order to live the bucket lifestyle. Mark McGrath is one of the people who's been willing to put it all on the line all his life. He is known all over the world as the spiky head lead singer of the 90s pop phenomenon Sugar Ray, famous for huge hits like Fly, Every Morning, Someday, and When It's Over. The band sold more than 10 million records worldwide, laying claim to multi-platinum albums and a number of top 40 hits, two at number one. It's hard to find someone who doesn't recognize at least one of their songs, which became part of the emotional landscape for so many people's lives through the 90s. Sugar Ray fans in every corner of the globe have a personal connection with the sound of Sugar Ray and Mark McGrath, who, by the way, was voted the sexiest rock star by People magazine back in 1998 and graced the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. But Mark completely smashes any stereotype you might have about being a famous rock star and sex symbol. He takes delight in constantly making fun of himself, especially around his good looks, and he thinks being famous is quite fun and he just loves it, but he doesn't feel like he's defined by it. He really focuses on the importance of good manners, remaining humble, and always being grateful for everything that life has to offer. Plus, he's just a regular guy, a dad who happens to play table tennis with some of the parents of his kids' friends on a Saturday night in the backyard. Mark has always loved music, but ironically, he would be the first to say that he couldn't sing. Just a fan, just a love music so much. And there was the local band, every high school's got their band that plays every party. And that band was this band called the Tories. And they were kind of a 60s retro mod band. They played a lot of Who, Creedence uh, Clearwater, uh, Clearwater um, you know, all the Beatles stuff. And they were just kind of that 60s fun thing and they played every party. I noticed that all the girls gravitated toward the guys in the band, you know? So I go, I'm gonna carry this guitar. I wanna be guitar that guy. Yes. Just to get near the act, just get close. So I just became like a de facto roadie. Yeah. I made myself useful to them because they didn't wanna bring their guitars in. It made them feel a little more special having me bring it in. And then my, by proxy with the band, more people were like, oh, wow, this guy knows the band, you know? And it would be like sort of the, I'd be like the doorway to the band. So I got to meet those people that way. Mark continued to be the band's roadie through college. And then it was during one performance that Mark finally took his shot. One night, the Tories, this band that I loved, that I was, yeah. that I was being their, uh, their roadie, 
was going to play Back in Black by ACDC at a party. Yeah. Now, the singer was so altruistic to his 60s beliefs, his <clears throat> psychedelia, the 60s aesthetic, that he would not sing Back in Black. Mm. He just, I'm not singing it. I go, I'll do it. I'm dumb enough to try. So I went out there and I think I screamed, I screamed, I yelled, I was enthusiastic. I couldn't sing. I still you were can't. just a music fan. I was a fan of music. That's, I love music. Still so the music. passion's coming through. Passion's coming through. No, the passion's coming through in the performance that night. So yeah. I sing, I scream, and I can see people kind of going, Jesus, what, what, what is this? Like, I don't, they weren't necessarily impressed, but they were amused, you know? Right. Were they entertained? Entertained. Yeah. Well said, entertained. So at the end of the, the, the thing, I put the mic in the stand and then I did a flip in the pool to sort of end my thing and that was my thing and blah, blah, blah. Didn't think about it. Long story short, that band broke up about five months later because now hard rock's really coming into play. This is 88, 89. Yeah. And that hoodoo gurus, post 60s psychedelia that was really out of fashion. Your only shot at sort of any sort of career was sort of getting into this LA Guns, Motley Crue, um, Faster Pussycat thing that was happening out here in the Strip. And we're from LA, so that was just, I mean, we're from Newport, so LA was kind of our, our beacon of light in terms of, uh, uh, of what, what the possibilities were. Right. Or, or how realistic something could be. So they decided to span the Tories to go in a more hard rock direction. They go, well, that idiot who was saying Back in Black was, I mean, he wasn't that good, but he was amusing. So this is all part of your self-deprecating thing. Where it's, you, it's, you, they'll tell you that. The guy's my band No, but you. I'm saying you do this a lot, and, 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 and it, we'll get to that. But anyway, so anyway, so they realize you got some talent. You got something. Not talent. They said there's something there. Mark, it's got to be it's got to be talent. It's got to be what else is I guess it? It's entertain I guess if you can entertain people, yeah. I guess it might be a talent. Yes. I mean, so but again, it was all developing. There was yeah. just they saw something there. They go, he was just he did something. They were people were really tuned in and they said let's give him a shot. So I remember our first rehearsal and our bass player was super like, he was a musician, he was a muso, he was into Getty Lee and all these really, like Jaco Pasturius, all these really technical bass players. And we played a couple songs. I think we did Blondies one way or another. Uh, we did uh, Hell's Bells by ACDC and I took a big, there was a big water jug that was empty over here. And you know, there's a part, it, it started Hell's Bells, it goes, bong, it's a bell. And I had a great idea, I took the drumstick and I went, bong on this big water jug, this big plastic thing. And it sounds lame right now, and it was lame. But it showed my like my ability to entertain and just I think. But they also feet. realized that you this were guy's serious, right? This He'll guy serve like he whatever gets it. Takes he gets it, gets it. Yeah, we had a bunch of our friends in high school that went down to San Diego State, yeah. which is one of the biggest party colleges schools of all time. Certainly back then in the '80s and, and the early '90s. So we we did about two, three, four gigs a week, and we started getting better as musicians, playing these cover songs. We started to learn our roles as, as in a band. So we became I wouldn't say a tight band. We were always loose, always a loose band, never really. Uh, you know, tight musos or, or really a, one of those bands like, wow, they got it together. But we were getting our shtick together. Then over time and many gigs later came the watershed moment. There was a moment after uh, our first record came out called Lemonade and Brownies. Yes. Not one of my better titles in 1995. And we went around the roll with it. It got a big chance from a major label, Atlantic Records, and it didn't work. Yeah. Didn't really sell it too much. And um, we were on the cusp of being dropped, meaning the labels, thanks for playing. Yep. Uh, uh, go back to your, your, uh, the real world. But then there was this opportunity that presented itself when they were on the Howard Stern show. That would change everything. It was during their time on the show that they learned that Stern considered himself to be a songwriter. And then when the band got back on the road, they came up with this very clever plan. Why not do a cover song that Howard Stern wrote and then send that song back to him. So we go, let's take a shot. We were literally touring from, um, 
I think we're going from Wyoming to Denver, and we stopped at the Denver Community College and asked the students in the music program, will you guys record a song for us? So we did a, a punk rock version of their song, of his song, Psychedelic Bee, uh, and we, it took us three hours. These kids donated their time. We just rocked it out, punked it out, and then sent it FedEx with our last like 50 bucks we had. We didn't eat that night, so we could send it. I mean, really, this is a true story. And there was no cell phones back then, no nothing. Um, so we sent off the tape to, um, to New York City. So they send the tape unsolicited to Howard Stern's manager, and it was the best 50 bucks they ever spent. When they reached their next gig, and this is all pre-internet days, they found out that Howard Stern had been playing the song five times a day in the morning. This is when he had 24 million listeners, so he was at the peak of his powers, and all of a sudden, people wanted to know more about this band. Who's this band, Sugar Ray? Records started selling. The label was interested again. They went back into the studio. They worked with a producer that helped Mark find his voice, and then they recorded an original song written by Mark called Fly. Well... After that, the rest is history. I wish I could, you know, articulate what that is. Yeah, you know, it, it's that drug that that's, that you you can't describe. It's it's intangible. It's 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 something that I'm always grasping. And and the first time is always as good as the last time. You know, as a performer, you know, it's addictive. It's beyond addictive. And right. getting that adulation, like it was fun when I was doing cover songs. Is Heaven that forbid you write your own song? <clears throat> yeah. And now you have a number one song that you wrote. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm really proud of the songs we wrote. We wrote, wrote four songs that have stood the test of time. Having people come up to me and say how much fly means or every morning means, it it, it, it touches my heart as a songwriter. You know, so every morning and fly are two number one songs that can never be taken away. Thing is, it's hard to say whether all of this would have happened if Mark wasn't willing to jump up on the stage during college and then put absolutely everything into it, regardless of what people thought of him. If, yeah. if, I, if I get to like just perform these songs the rest of my life, and if I'm in a Denny's in Barstow at 75 playing Fly three times a night, yeah. I am the happiest place. Don't worry about me. For our next Bucket Podcast guest, it would be a deadly mass shooting in the United States that would influence him to publicly take a stand was something that was incredibly personal and private. On June 12, 2016, a gunman opened fire inside a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, claiming the lives of 49 people and wounding 53 others. It was also the night that a 25-year-old former professional cyclist, Kit Carson, decided it was time to come out to his family and friends, not only to be true to himself, but to hopefully give others the strength to do the same. He knew that he just couldn't stand on the sidelines anymore. I think the thing that scared me the most was so much of who I am was defined by being isolated as a kid and yeah. trying to feel like you're a part of something in a community. And I wasn't thinking about the queer community. I was thinking about the, my past and my cycling community and, you know, my family and friends and the people who I'd spent years trying to cultivate and I thought oh my god like this this could jeopardize that but those horrific events in Orlando changed everything for Kit as a t person in their mid-20s does I went on to social media and just kind of wrote up a little thing and used that photo that my dad had taken of him and I and decided to come out to the world people love you it shouldn't matter based on who you love or what you are and what you do, you know, they are there for you. And mm. I think that I was so, you know, towards the end of me before I came out was worried about 
jeopardizing those relationships with my friends and family um, and relationships that I worked so hard to create over time. I'm one of the lucky ones who thankfully has not had a, a moment of anyone in the world that I've created for myself that ended up saying, I don't accept this. For Kit, the decision to come out in such a public way was incredibly brave and bold. It was the best move for him though. By taking the risk and exposing his true self, it's not only made him more comfortable in his own skin, but by sharing his story, he's now become a role model for others. My only piece of advice is the community, regardless of what your family or close friends' reactions are to you and how you, who you truly are yeah. and their reaction, the community will continue to live on. And so it is within our inherent responsibility as a minority group to continue to take care of one another. And so as painful as it may be through that exercise of coming out and say if your family is not accepting, you know, I can't be the one to say that, you know, it should be right and they're wrong and how dare they, because I, that is not my world. Mm. But what I can say is the only thing that you can't control in this situation is you. The pain that you feel, it doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. And do your best best, your very, very best to not try and put that onto someone else. Mm. It is the worst, you know, misery loves company. We have to, as a minority group, take care of one another. It is within our inherent responsibility because if we can't take care of one another and love one another, how are we, like, how are we supposed to expect anyone else to feel the same? I can't, I can't unchange who I am and I wouldn't dare. Two other people that professionally put everything on the line are Ben Winston, the youngest showrunner in the history of late night TV, and Rob Crabb, a former supervising producer on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. They're the executive producers of The Late Late Show with James Corden on CBS, a variety show which made its U.S. television debut in 2015. Ben and Rob created this show from the ground up, along with James Corden, a relatively unknown U.K. host, in front of millions of viewers, but it wasn't a regular talk show. They went in with an entirely new direction for US television. They had a different vision of what the show could be. The biggest question they had at the time was, was it gonna work? It, we, the odds were stacked against us. Mm -hmm. And we came up against some really difficult things in those first two prep months. Um, the two main things that we came up against uh, that we had to battle, as well as just the simple logistics of employing 100 people and building a set in time and, and, uh, and, and working out the creative of the show, was one, nobody wanted to come on the show. No guests mm. wanted to come on the because show. Because they didn't know because who he was. Because they didn't know who he was. And every publicist was like, well, he could be one of those cynical English guys, huh. the Piers Morgans, the Simon Cowles. So I think a lot of publicists were like, well, you know what, I'm going to watch the first couple of weeks and I'm going to see how it is and see how he is and who he is. And then if I like it and if the show's doing well, then I'll book my client. And you were like, well, if you don't give us your guests, then it's going to be incredibly hard for us to, to succeed you. in those two mm -hmm. weeks. Because yeah. people judge you on your first night in truth. The, right. the other thing was there was a lot of negative press about it. There was people saying, who the hell is James Corden? Why is it uh, an English guy? Uh, why is it this guy? Um, we had an issue with David Letterman, where who's a hero of ours, but he came out and um, 
CBS originally put us on March the 9th. Yes. And then as we arrived on January the 1st, we were like, it's impossible to go March 9th. Let's delay till March 23rd. And everybody was fine with that at the network. They were like, sure, it's still two months out. No one even noticed. And unfortunately, um, David Letterman said on his show that night, I don't understand why this guy, there's obviously problems over there because yeah. the tubby guy is uh, delaying the show. And the tubby guy is obviously... Uh, getting worried about doing this show and How i think there's this? problems letterman was just being funny yeah and, and i think that if we weren't in the mix of it if we weren't surrounded with like jobs to do and desperation to make this show great where there was no problems we were we were doing great and things things were going really well but i suddenly think i don't think he would have ever done it had he realized how much that probably did affect us and Mm. also it's almost more difficult because i would say out of all the late night hosts i mean letterman is most people who work in television's hero yeah but it was just those moments where him just being flippant and funny actually was like wow because the press of course pick up on it and go well maybe there is problems over there and who are the guests and why is it what you know why has it been delayed and suddenly so i think that we felt up against it i Mm. think we felt pressure to deliver um and then things started going our way a little bit tom hanks agreed not only to be our first guest but also when we pitched him an idea for the show which was so important for our show we never wanted to be the show that was just a talk show we think we've always felt with james's skill set if we deliver a talk show every night we've wasted like what was what was the point of james doing that like he's got so much more to his armory when tom hanks agreed to recreate all of his movies in 6 minutes with james star- starring opposite him we immediately had a show where suddenly we had a, a you know a, a really funny opening sketch yeah. which was very self-deprecating with loads of cameos not the tom hanks one but another one we shot and we got loads of favors in there we had great guests with mila kunis and tom we had a brilliant sketch where he did his whole movie career and then we also james finished it with a really meaningful beautiful song he ended the show with a song which was also very funny so suddenly within that first hour we'd shown we had star capability we'd shown james's acting chops in a brilliant sketch we'd shown that we had viral hits because the next morning that tom hanks sketch started building and building online and he'd sung so we'd done a really great hour that was packed full saying this is who we are and we're not going to deliver you what I think you've seen maybe on other shows. Um, And so that's when it was literally, I feel like that hour, that hour was the most defining hour for us of our careers in a way, because it so easily could have gone the other way. And it wasn't about the rating that night, which was good. It wasn't about the numbers. It wasn't about any of that. It was about that we showed that James had these unbelievable talents and we were bold and ambitious and going to really try and do something every night. And then the next night, we did Carpool Karaoke mm-hmm. for the first time. The next night, we did a soap opera sketch with Chris Pine and um, Patricia Arquette. And the fourth night, we did a show from somebody's house on the street. We went down, knocked on somebody's house. They opened the door. We moved the set in. <laughs> and we literally did a, we did a show from their house. Tommy's uh, house. Tommy's house with Jeff Goldblum as our guest and Beck playing in their kitchen. And they had no idea what had hit them because they had no idea about it. We just knocked on their door. So in that first week, we went, you may not have heard of any of us. You may not have heard of James, you may not have heard of us, but we are, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down fighting. This incredible duo also knew that while producing the show, it was very important to embrace a digital age. And that decision really paid off. Late Late Show with James Corden is now in 150 countries, has 16 million subscribers on the YouTube channel, and its interviews, performances, and skits have six to seven billion views. Can you imagine that? Not bad for a show that's literally the first thing on in the morning or super late at night depending on how you look at it 
literally my first meeting yeah. uh, with CBS. I remember it really clearly. We sat in a restaurant and um, I'd flown out to meet them. They'd met James, they'd liked James, and uh, but they didn't really know what the show was. And I'd met, I was meeting, I think they were meeting six or seven other EPs and uh, production companies to discuss if they would do it. So I didn't really think I was ever gonna get the job myself. Mm-hmm. But one of the main things that we spoke about was for CBS and for this show, we had to embrace the digital age. There was no point making a show, especially for young people and especially with James's talents, which was going to be on at 12.37 at night. And get Jack, buried. Yeah, well, what's the point? Yeah. Our egos are too big to make a show for the middle of the night. There's, there is just no point, especially in this day and age. James says it best. He says that he is his biggest fan. He thinks he's more handsome, more entertaining, more funny than anyone. And even he cannot stay awake for his own show. So how can he expect anybody else to? And I, and, and I sort of agree. It's like we never wanted to make a show that started at 12.30. Yeah. We were in no interest. We wanted to make a show, and everybody who works for us knows this. We make a show that launches at 12.37. If you want to be one of the ridiculous people who stays up and has no life the next morning and watch it live as it goes out at 12.37 till 1.37, be our guest. Yeah. But we're, that's not who we're making a show for. And that's why it's so loud and entertaining. Because what we realized early on was for this show to be successful, we were competing with The Breakfast News because in the morning, instead of watching The Breakfast News, maybe you could watch us on your laptop. Or instead of watching Ellen in the afternoon, maybe you'll watch us on your phone. Or instead of watching Fallon in the evening, maybe you'd watch last night's show on your tablet. And we were very aware that we had to make an entertainment show that would rival any time slot. And also in this day and age, time slots for us, unless you're in live entertainment or award shows or sports, they're dead. You can't control your ratings, but you can control your relevancy. Right. And so you can try and be relevant by uh, putting yourself in enough places to get eyeballs on it in other ways. And so for us, that's we want to be popping up in your Twitter feed the next day. We want people to be sending out clips from our show. We want to be on your Facebook. We want your family to share our clips. And uh, anything that's good enough at 1230 a.m. should be good enough to eat lunch with at 1230 p.m. I'm going to be exploring some of the other bucket themes in future episodes. Well, that's it for 2019. As I said, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving with your family. I will be back next year. Look out for Tough as Nails on CBS. If you know anybody who is as tough as nails, then you can go to toughasnailscbscasting.com and apply. Stay safe and don't forget, when in doubt, just say Bucket. Don't forget to go to bucketnutrition.com. That's bucket with an I-T. Use promo code 10 for a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. And I also have some bucket shots for you, filled with B12 and New Zealand Manuka honey. Just tell me when you broke new ground, when you did something new and different. DM me on Instagram at Bucket Nutrition. I'll pick out my favorite story, and I'll send you some bucket boosters to try. 